0: And here we go with episode number 13. And in 13 episodes, I never imagined that I would have this many guests on the podcast. I'm very appreciative. I got a lot of appreciation in my heart. So thank you to all the people who have been on. This one is a special one. I really, really enjoy talking to this guy. He's uh, got a crazy interesting life from lead singer in a band, touring to business owner to professional artist. Everything in between. It's just an incredible. It's a really cool story. I enjoyed the conversation and really kind of tells you how never growing old can prepare you for opportunities in life. So, without any further delay on my part and my yippy yappin enjoy Matthew apol And it's recording. Cool. So
1: um, I'm Matthew. I am a visual artist currently based in mm. Syracuse, New York. Um, I'm studying. Painting at Syracuse University for a master's degree, and um, I don't know, let's see, it took me a good 15 years out of undergraduate to finally get all the ducks in the road to get myself to graduate school. Um, it was kind of a long game goal, but I got here, and here we are now, and yeah, that's that's the story. Everything in between is kind of the history up until...
0: Everything in between. (laughs) There's a lot in between. So there's a lot in between. I know not. I mean, nobody's going to know this except for us two. But I basically got to know you rather short period of time on our Boston trip that I talked about several times on the podcast. Um, Yeah, yeah. And we hung out, and you probably asked me two of the coolest questions that still have me thinking today like I think about it all the time and we'll get to that at the end of the podcast but um everybody like everybody who's ever dreamt about being a rock star I'm gonna go back to like the first time I learned this about you is you opened for seven seconds and toured with them is that correct uh not not quite (laughs) (laughs) uh we, we we didn't tour with
1: seven seconds um and actually, we didn't open for seven seconds either. Um, I've seen seven seconds. I remember you texted me that a couple of weeks ago, and instead of getting into a, a huge debate about it, I just kind of <laughs> smiled at you and said, "Sure, yeah." Um, we 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 oh, we open for terror. Gotcha. And the terror is a uh, an LA. I guess they're mostly an L.A.-based band. They're kind of like an L.A. slash upstate New York-based band. It's one of the larger acts in hardcore today. Um, but uh, And at, at the time, they were probably at their peak, and that was about 10 years ago. So um, we opened for them, and um, I'm trying to think of who we toured with that was notable. Um, we toured with a lot of small bands that um, now, like the members in those bands have, like they're, they're, they, they kind of own the the east coast like hardcore scene if that makes sense so like um say i turned, i toured with a band that had a drummer a at the time he was like 14 asian kid by the name of daniel fang and um since and it was like it was a you know cool band they were a band called blind the thief um that didn't really amount to do too much more than like that little tour with us but then after that, um, he went on to play in like various ridiculous Baltimore bands, like Mindset, Trapped Under Ice. And now he is the drummer in Turnstile. And Turnstile is probably, I'd say they're, they're top five hardcore bands in America right now. Like, they, like they, they're probably the, like one of the top five most hyped hardcore bands in America now. <laughs> so yeah, it's it's, it's it's funny. Like and now he's, Now he's all of, like, 26 years old. And I was like, yeah, I remember when he was, like, a tween, you know, so...
0: Holy cow, Um, a tween touring in a hardcore band. Yeah. That's crazy, man. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and, 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 you know, it's funny, like, there's a decent amount of
1: that. Like, a lot of that, if they get into it early enough, um, like, there was a band uh, from Boston called Have Heart, and... um, Pat Flynn, the singer in that band, like, he was in high school when they did, like, they were playing huge festivals and stuff, and, you know, there's stories about, like, all right, what did everybody do on the weekend? And, you know, everybody's, like, telling their stories, and he's like, I was on tour. Like, I was I was six states away doing, like, a, a you know, a, a three-night thing, and it's just cra- crazy, crazy stuff. Underground music is so cool like that. So, um, there's, like, no rules. There's no, there's no, um, you know, there's very... Very little booking agent activity. There's, uh, there's very little, you know, outside promotion except like what you could do at the time. It was like what you could do over MySpace, if you remember MySpace, <laughs> um, and what you know, what you can, you know, which is basically just what you can do by yourself. So, um, anyway, sorry, that was a, a longer. So, uh, the short answer: we we never opened for Seven Seconds. I love Seven Seconds. I've seen Seven
0: Seconds. Um, we did open for at one point ah, gotcha gotcha it's still an awesome story regardless i know it, i must have got that <laughs> mixed up in the thing like when you were you were like yeah i, I kind of was a singer in a band it's like a hardcore band like if you ever heard of seven seconds i'm like uh, yeah i have hello mm-hmm. but uh i anyway that that's probably where i got that mixed up but still an awesome story how old were you at this time
1: um. Let's see. I was in the band from 25 until maybe about 27. I'm thinking. So it was like 2007 to 2009 2007. was when I was in the band. I I left the band in 2009 and they um they you know they found a replacement and they were still going strong for a while. They they got signed to a, a pretty large indie record label out of Maine. And, um, it was one of the record labels that like a lot of the decent Boston bands went to for a while. And, um, I think about a year later, they decided to call it quits. Uh, the, the guitar player had a kid, um, when I left the bass player left as well. So then they had to replace him. So, um, I, I guess that was kind of the start of the, of, um, the, you know, the end of that band which is a little sad to me because we were good but um but yeah there a lot of the guys that you know did not have kids or did not have huge ridiculous college loans went went off
0: to play today and anybody that doesn't follow hardcore music at all or the punk scene the northeast is kind of the mecca it's like getting dropped into the all-stars of hardcore music pretty much yeah, no, I, I would agree with that. I, I think that every
1: major, big big city has you know has a scene, but um, the Northeast having having New York, having Boston, like Boston and New York and all all that basically that tri-state area is just it's just saturated. It's like tons of tons of kids with nothing to do. So what nope. do you you know?
0: No sunshine. No
1: sunshine. Yeah, yeah you act disenfranchised and you go play music with friends and yell about stuff
0: that you're frustrated about so <laughs> yeah uh, now, were you straight edge by the time you started the band or started singing in the band or how did that all become about? Yeah, yeah no I went I went edge in two
1: thousand and thousand um, 2002. So, um, and basically, so like I went off to, I never drank or partied or anything in high school. I went to a, a really small, um, pretty conservative school that was awesome, but I basically, I did my sports, I did my homework, I did some art and, and, uh, like I called it a day and I lived far enough away from that school that on the weekends I just, I wasn't able to get you know, back down to where the partying was going on or where the drugs were happening or where people were hooking up and all that. So I, I stayed, you know, I stayed at my house. And um, then I went to college and I went to, again, a small conservative uh, religious school that did not allow drinking on campus, um, which was fine. But when I came home, you know, then I, you know, I had some somewhere around the age of 19... I discovered drinking and, um, I had like a, a really, really heavily, um, intoxicated summer between my freshman and sophomore year of college and, um, like, like, like really, really, really bad, like, um, like alcohol poisoning bad and, and, um, It was just, like, it was all at once. It was, like, three months of the most drinking you could drink, and it was never good drinking either. It was always liquor, and if it was beer, it was, like, natty ice. So, you know, it (laughs) tasted like piss, and it was, like, 9% alcohol. Um, And at the end of that summer, like, I was starting to connect with, you know, hardcore and punk kids more and more, and um, the idea, you know, one of these super binge-heavy nights happened, and um, I just remember, like, a friend uh, bringing me home from a, a party the day after. And um, I had actually, it was, it was in the summer, and I'd fallen asleep outside, like, on a deck. And they didn't find me until, like, you know, the next afternoon. And one side of me was completely sunburned. So, like, and the other side was not. And I just remembered, like, I don't actually think I can do this. And when we were driving home... Uh, there was some you know, some straight-edge anti-alcohol band playing in the car, and I was like, that's the answer, that's the
0: answer. And I stopped drinking. So. <laughs> that's, that's crazy, man. It's crazy that you can flip a switch and just hear a band on there. Like, you hear the band, and it hits you at that right time, and then you're just, it's like, that's it. That's what I need to do. That keeps me healthy. It's way more fun. And then that, that leads you into... Basically, being a lead singer in one of the bands. Um, um there, there's still
1: some. There's a decent amount of time in between. Like there was, you know, I went edge in 2002, and then the, we didn't start the band until like 2007. So I spent four years at a completely different school, and um, and my, you know, my my philosophy on straight edge changed over time. Like I was funny because like I, I was pretty much a drunk and then as soon as I went straight edge I, I felt like I had something to be self-righteous about so like um, you know I had a sweatshirt that said kill your local drug dealer and I had uh, you know I, I became an RA at at this college that I was attending basically to get myself in the, per, in the position to bust kids who were drinking on campus <laughs> so like yeah and And it's funny because, like, I had these two, I had these, I was an RA, I had these two kids on academic probation before their first semester of college even started, and at the time, I thought it was, like, I was like, yeah, that's cool, and, like, five years later, I still find myself, like, like messaging them on Facebook, and, like, ten years later, messaging them on Facebook, being like, I'm so sorry, I ruined your freshman year of college, you have no idea how much grief I feel, like, I, I I'm such an asshole. I'm sorry. It's my fault. You know, just like total feel totally awful about it. So um, yeah. In in 2007, I believe we started uh, we started the band and we were we weren't outspokenly straight edge, but we were everybody in the band was edge. So it was just um, we talked about you know a decent amount of injustice and sh- like social issues, but um, I don't think we actually had like a straight edge song. We had a song about how Bad, we thought um, certain entry level drugs were um, called or entry level, yeah, called gateways. And it's basically about how, like, bad, like, how one thing leads to another, leads to another, and then you're on, you know, opioids. So, <laughs>
0: but yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, from the sound, like, rehearing the story, just like playing it over again and talking to you about it again right now, um, what it really kind of ties together your kind of um, I, I don't want to say addictive personality but your obsession with things that you enjoy. So like whenever you find something you like, you just dive in head first all the way down and soak everything up in it. Just like, you know, you're you're drinking, you go head first, all the way in. And then you're not drinking, you go head first. All the way in, and then you're, you know, you're in a band, and then you find that medium zone. But the same way with what I feel like it's the same way with your art and with owning your own business and with anything that you do, you just try to find a way to just you can't help yourself from just diving all the way into it. Um, I, yeah, no, I, I think you hit it on the
1: head. Um, I think I think that's really the only way you you can do anything that you're passionate about. Um, I do have an addictive personality. I do also have raging attention deficit disorder. So um, so it it it's almost like one one kind of helps the other where it's like, you know, if I keep my focus on this, I can keep eating through it. And then, you know, it's, it's almost like if I let my ADD kind of take over, I'll bounce to something else. And then, you know, I'll be doing 19 different things in a state of mediocrity. Or if I just do two things really, really, really hard, I can hopefully do those two things really
0: well, if that makes sense. Oh yeah, no, I I mean so. I'm I'm very similar to you in that sense where I think that's why we get along. We both have ADD and then both get obsessed with the things that we're like enjoy. Um, yeah, in that sense because like when I first uh, let's say I first put on a pair of rollerblades, you couldn't take me out of a pair of rollerblades. I didn't care like I didn't care about girls, I didn't care about other sports anymore. I didn't care about anything. I just cared about rollerblading. And then when I tried surfing, when I, you know, that's all I could think about was surfing. And then just recently I tried ice hockey and now that's all I can think about is just wanting to go play ice hockey. I mean, anything that I do it's almost an it's like an obsession, but a good obsession. Like I find it in good places where I pour my energy into things that kind of benefit me, I guess, um, you're going to be like that 50-year-old guy that, you know, he's,
1: he's going to be like, not even, you're going to be like that 60-year-old guy and you're going to be walking around in California because you guys are visiting and you're going to see this ball that's on a string attached to a pole and it's tetherball and you will have never done it before and then you're going to go try it and for the rest of like your 60s, all you're going to be able to think about is hitting this ball around this pole and being a tetherball champion. <laughs> I'm
0: going gonna, I'm gonna to talk trash to all the other 60-year-olds or even little kids like on the playground. <laughs> you want to go yeah 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 i I can see something of
1: that nature happening And, and, and my question is like i was gonna ask like what happens when you're too old to get a new addiction and i don't think you're gonna like let it happen like i think if you get like ridiculous osteoporosis or something like you're gonna find like okay now we're gonna do this is gonna be thumb wrestling like i'm going to i'm gonna do thumb wrestling here we go you know
0: like i just i feel like you're going to have to have something you're obsessed with until you die (laughs) <laughs> yeah, it's gonna have to. That's what I told her. Unless I break my back or something, even then, like I'm, uh, when I, just even being out with the injuries I've had and having to work around it, it never slowed me down in finding something to to find it. So you're probably correct there. Um, I would like to think that I would mellow out, but then I don't want to mellow out at the same time. Like I kind of dread the day, but I'm going to be accepting of it if it happens. But I'm not going to think about it too much if that makes sense. I'm just going to keep rocking and rolling until I run out of things to be obsessed about. <laughs> so I,
1: I have, a, I have a, an idea about that. So I, I think as people grow, I think that the folks that truly that truly mellow out, essentially what they're doing is they're saying, I, "I'm too mature for the person I was." You know, I think it's a little bit healthier to simply expound upon your experience, but you know, keep keep those little bits and pieces from the past. So, like, take for instance, I do not listen to really heavy, really fast hardcore all the time anymore. Like, you know, I just I listen to other things when I'm in the studio. um, I listen to music that's a lot more mellow because it allows me to focus. Um, that does not mean I still don't get super excited when I hear a song that was played live that I went off on in 2004. You know, like like those little, you know, those those little like um, those little pieces of nostalgia are still really important to me, and they still um, really make up some of the fabric of who I am. Even including like the music that I decide to listen to now, it's like this has to in some way reference the, the bank of music that I was obsessed with for the last 20 years, you know? Um, and I know that kind of tangented off, but like I, I don't think people should completely mellow out. I think they should expound a little bit. I think they should grow. I think they should experience more. And if maybe that experience is something, you know, that's, you know, may, maybe like, okay, like people start at, at some point in, in life, people start drinking wine. <laughs> like, I don't know when that is, but like, all of a sudden, somebody, all of a sudden, it's like, it's like a girl hits a certain age and, and, at, at, like, she's going to have a glass of wine. And then it happens for with dudes, too. I'm noticing all this is it's all my friends. Like, now I'm even kind of past it because I'm, like, approaching 40, and so are you. I won't say that too loud. Um, but like, um, it's like, it's like all of a sudden, it's like, all right, I'm going to have a glass of wine before bed. It's like, when did that start? Like, why, what? what, you know? And then it's, um, that's cool. You're like, do, do you still, um, like, like, I order chocolate milk at restaurants all the time and everybody looks at me like I have four heads. Like, <laughs> why, why would you not order chocolate milk? It tastes great.
0: You're, you're 40 with chocolate milk. That's a kid's drink, sir. I'm sorry. You can't order off the kid's menu.
1: That's what I'm saying. They, like,
0: look down at me like, chocolate milk? Like, milk with chocolate in
1: it? And I'm like, yeah, do you do it differently here?
0: Yeah. Oh. <laughs> I think you bring up an awesome point though, man. I like uh the whole with the whole I got what you're saying with the whole wine thing and the the mellowing out theory and I am on board with that totally. You explained it and articulated it perfect for everyone listening and for me right now. It was that was absolutely perfect. I think it's almost you don't want you hate to say like You're giving up, but you kind of like, yeah, you give up on all the fun things because you think you got too old to do them, you know? Yeah, and, like, those fun things are your foundation. Like, as you gain
1: experience in life, you know, you 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 hopefully have a more, you know, more educational and more, you know, more intellectual experience, but, like, you can't. Like, it's it's not – you didn't forget the stuff that happened. That stuff is not, you know, is – isn't any, isn't no longer, a part, isn't no longer, isn't no longer. That sounds like a double negative, but it's not <laughs> like you forget all that stuff. That's, that stuff is still there. It brought you to the, to the next batch of things that you're enjoying now.
0: Yeah. So, it's like, you know what, it brought you so much joy in your life. Why are you going to rob yourself of that joy just because you reached a certain age? Hundred percent. You know, use like, that like, use that yeah. knowledge to increase the joy, like increase your pleasure of it.
1: Yes, like hundred percent. Um, it's uh, and and and, and you, I also like when you're young. I feel like when you're young, and when you have, you know, when you're going at hundred miles per hour, when you're when you don't need to sleep all the time, like all of these things that like you know, once essentially when your cells stop reproducing, all of that stuff starts to slow down, you know, what they say you start to die like in your mid twenties or something like that's when your cells actually stop producing new cells or something like that. Um, I don't know exactly, but like, I need to remember how that fast lane felt, (laughs) you know? And, And, and like, and when it, when it happens now, it happens, you know, not as frequently, but, like, it was joyful back then. So, like, when it happens now, it's still joyful. I don't want to be, I don't want to not live, you know, and not live fast. You know, obviously, I have to be more careful. I can't just, like, go sledding on a lunch tray every day anymore. But, like, um, you know, when when that happens now, I want to remember how good it felt then. You know, like, that's my reference point. It's like, oh, this feels just like, you know, and that makes me happy. You yeah. know, I all of those things remain
0: very important to me. Oh, totally. So. Totally, man. I agree. And then I mean this all all this stuff that you're saying kind of speaks to your life as a whole and the way you live, down to your, you know, your core. So we can move on from even just the band part and were you doing art the whole time you were in the band? Did you leave the band to do art and pursue it? How did that all come about? Uh, okay. So now we'll go into a Kind of twisting, turning,
1: long story that I'm going to try to make short. So, um, in 2007, when I was in the band, like hardcore music, the scene, Philadelphia, Baltimore, New York, touring, like that is that is what I was thinking about. Like it's like, okay, I'm going to make I'm going to make this my life. Like I'm going to do this for you know I'm going to do this for the next 10 years. This is going to be awesome, you know. And then, you know, I graduated in 2007 from undergrad and then in 2009, um, my forbearance and deferment for my college loans, uh, you know, basically ended and all of a sudden I had debt that I needed to repay, you know, and, um, a little secret for those of you who are stressed about college loans is um, if you don't pay them, um, nothing happens. Like, the bill keeps coming, and your credit gets shot to absolute shit. But, you know, like, they're not going to come and arrest you or, you know, put a collection agency on you because you don't pay your college loans. <laughs> anyway, um, but I didn't know that then. And, like, I was very, very, like, mindful and weary of the law. So I was like, oh, my gosh, like, I have debt. Like, I need to pay these these loans, and I can't do it weighing tables for you know three months and then which when I did that I weighed tables for three months that supported the next two-week tour then I came home weighed tables for two months that supported the next two-week tour so you know I, I realized that okay so maybe the band thing can't happen definitely can't happen right now so um I quit the band and made you know three of my good friends hate me for a little while and uh you know, then basically looked around for uh, was looking around for graphic design jobs in the area of the college that I graduated from. Um, in 2009, I went to this huge hardcore music fest in Chicago called Burning Fight, and it was basically and this this ties in I promise. Um, it was basically a reunion show for like all the most seminal bands. Of the '90s in like the story of '90s hardcore. So I mean, it was it was a reunion show of just you know just r- ridiculous ridiculous bands getting back together. There were maybe like three seminal bands that were missing out of like all of '90s hardcore. You know, like um for for anybody that knows hardcore, it was the first time the Trial from Seattle got back together for a while. Disembodied played, um you know just like crazy 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 fans played indecision played like just all these fans that were huge in the 90s and then and i went out there and it was a three-day festival and i had the absolute best time of my life and um we drove my me and two friends went out we drove my car and on the way home from chicago sunday night i t-boned a deer going like 85 miles per hour on route 80
0: um holy
1: moly (laughs) yeah totaled my car so my, and it was like at like one in the morning too, totally my car. And I have another story that I can tell you at a different time about that experience. But basically it ended up being me being stranded in Laporte, Indiana for like three days. And when I got back to York, um, basically I got fired for not showing up to, I got fired from my table weighing job for not showing up for work because, you know, I did not for three days. Um, and uh, that was the first kind of nail in the, okay, so, um, bands like band over like able weighing career over. Um, I'm going to go home to New Jersey where my parents are and I'm going to, uh, get a graphic design job. So, um, went home, went to Jersey, lived with my parents for a few months, moved to Orange County, New York, um, to basically start doing some freelance work up there. Uh, I weighed tables while I was up there, and uh, I also um, helped a buddy open a CrossFit gym, which I was you know, very interested in at the time. So I helped him open, I weighed tables, and I ended up getting a job at Toys R Us in their design department, which is also uh, located around that area of New York, New Jersey. Um, worked there at uh, Toys R Us for about a year, and it was a, it was a really, really, really good job. Um, but it was a really, really stressful job, like super stressful job. Um, you know, those women who are like, they're portrayed in the movies of being somewhere between 35 and 45 years old. Um, they are super attractive. They have five kids. They run fortune 500 companies during the day. They somehow get all the kids to soccer practice. And um, they have amazing sex with their husbands at night. And they basically, like, life is somehow this grandiose, organized, super hot midlife perfection.
0: (laughs) Um, I I don't know that I know any um, of them, no. But I get what you, you perfectly described them. Those women
1: exist. And they ran the design department at Toys R Us. And they were the most um, stress inducing people I'd ever met. And after about a year of it, I was like, I just can't do this anymore. Um, I moved to a different part of New York to do some freelance work, helped a different gentleman open up a CrossFit gym in that area of New York and helped him grow his clientele, um, to like, you know, a pretty, pretty sizable business, um, before departing from, you know, this, this was when CrossFit was like super, super hot. Um, and I mean, I, I understand it still is super high, but, like, it was really, really starting to gain ground in, like, 2010, 2011, 2012. And, um, essentially, uh, I had a friend come back from the Navy and said, hey, do you want to, you know, I saw the opportunity there because CrossFit was gaining so much traction. And I said, hey, you know, do you want to open a gym with me? And he said, yes. Um, we got some other investors involved, and uh, we opened up a gym in New York. Um, not in New York city, but, um, relatively close proximity to New York city, um, where we get, you know, New York city folks from time to time. And, um, I ran that for about, uh, I guess I ran that for about five years. And in the middle of that five year period, um, my wife came along and, you know, got married and she helped me run the gym for about a year and a half. And, you know, after we'd been married for about a year, um, I basically, you know, we had the conversations like, look, like this, this isn't a bad life. Like I was running the gym and she was helping while also doing an accounting job. But, um, it wasn't a home, it wasn't the home run that I thought it would be with the gym just because I was not the only one with the idea of, Hey, let's open a CrossFit gym in this part of New York, you know, like in that same year, like four other gyms popped up. So we were all essentially kind of fighting for the clientele and, um, you know, basically, you know, we had the discussion. I said, you know, I, I don't think I want to do this forever. And she said, yeah, I don't think I want to be an accountant at this particular place. Um, so we, you know, decided to, you know, start investigating what selling the gym would look like. And, um, and you know, examining what our possibilities would be from that point on. And I said, you know, I'd really like to take, and, take a stab at this art thing. I think I could do it. Um, You know, I have some connects back where my undergraduate education is. You know, I could probably get hooked up there with a studio or such. Um, you know, what do you think about, you know, giving that a shot? She was on board for it. Um, so we moved back to Pennsylvania where I went to college and um, we both worked. I worked uh, a contract job for the U.S. military doing technical graphics and I was able to do that remotely. And uh, she worked uh, as an accountant. And she actually still works for the same company now, even though we've moved back to New York. She, you know, works remotely. And um, it it worked out. I I used that two years to paint a lot. Like, I probably spent about 3,000 hours in the studio over the last two years just trying to get ready for things. And, um, you know, applied to graduate school. Um, got into a couple of different programs,
0: and we settled on Syracuse, and here we are. <laughs> that's great. That is a crazy story, man. And it's awesome to talk to people. Uh, you're – it seems – there's so many people I've interviewed on the podcast. It's just a, hey, I'm following – oh, wait, I want to do this. I'm going to follow my dream. And I do it. I just go. I'm just going. I figure it out. I want to do – uh, I want to see be a lead singer in a band. I'm a lead singer in a band. I want to go off and be an artist. Well, I'm going to go off and be an artist. Oh, I want to open, I don't know, three CrossFit gyms in the meantime. All right, cool. I'll do that too. Yeah. Like, you know, you yeah. think pe- people complain yeah, about not having right. enough time in their lives. And you did all this in a relatively short span. If you're talking about like 2010, 2011 to now, that's what, six years, seven years? yeah, something like that. that's that's a lot to cram into seven years. Man. <laughs> yeah, um I mean, so I, I agree with you, like you, you
1: can kind of do whatever you want. but given your given your situation with with me, it always had to be a little bit more long game. Like it's like, okay, I have this goal that I want to get to. Um, and I'm gonna think that you know I'm gonna say that that goal is uh, I know I think I'm taking this from someone else I can't remember who but it's a good analogy we're gonna say the goal is a mountain right and no matter what I'm doing there has to be an angle where I'm, where I'm still moving toward that goal like I can't be moving backwards or standing still um, I think I left this piece out this is gonna make make everything make a little bit more sense but um, in 2007 when I was in that band I'd always. Still been really interested in visual arts. Like if I ever went to like Borders, I wonder if people still remember what Borders is. <laughs> anyway, Borders <laughs> was a bookstore like Barnes & Noble. Yep. Um, and whenever I'd go in there, I'd always find myself like snooping around the, you know, the contemporary art magazine section because I wanted to see like what graffiti artists were hot and like who was painting what and all that stuff. And um, I, I picked up a, a, you know, a contemporary art magazine and I found this guy. A Scottish artist, and um, he's still my favorite artist to this day. Basically, he was a graffiti artist that is now a studio artist. Like he got big enough in the graffiti scene that you, you know, people wanted to buy his art, so he moved into the studio. And um, I saw this guy's work. His name was Connor Harrington. He was a Scottish artist who's based in London. And I saw it, and I just went, "That's the coolest thing I've ever seen," and I think I can do it. And it was just, like, I can't be a visual artist right now. I have all this school debt. I'm going to be a graphic designer. I've got to make money some other way. But in 2007, I knew at some point the end game had to be to be a visual artist. So over the course of that, you know, that 7, 10, 11-year period of time, even though I was interested in other things and making money other ways, it was still, like, I have to keep the ball rolling toward where I get to pick up a paintbrush and do that. And the biggest, the biggest thing standing in the way was the school debt. So it's like, I have to make money to eradicate the school debt. So, um, when Mel came along and, you know, Mel is my wife. And when she came along in the middle of that gym stint, um, she was an accountant and she was super instrumental in getting basically the gym in order and getting it ready to sell. And, um, you know, we, we sold the place to some friends And that gym is still open today and it's kicking like they've, they've done monumental things with it. So, but I'm going back. It's just, I realized I wanted to be a painter of some sorts in 2007, but I knew that I had to put it on pause because I could not have the debt. So we got rid of the debt and then we were able to open that door.
0: Well, it's, I mean, this is just part of the key. I think that a lot of people need to hear including myself and anybody else, like just to be reminded of it, but you, you had the dream back then, what, 2007? You said in that while you were in the band, yeah. and you had some things in your way, but you never let. You just kept chipping away to put yourself in a position to have the paintbrush in your hand. And uh, sure. I also think it's a really important note for everybody to hear that you sold a gym that you weren't like just tanking. You know, you you sold a gym that was surviving and not only surviving but on its way up, and you just. It just wasn't working out for you. It's not like you were like struggling with it and then just like, oh, we got to dump this thing, you know. You you just had a different path that you were going on, and you found a smart way to pursue the other path. Um, but yeah. it was just a stepping stone mm-hmm. into being an artist, which is what you wanted to do back then. Mm-hmm. And we, I mean, we've been very fortunate. Like, like I said, the people who bought
1: it were. Friends who, you know, had had a a similar and better vision than we did. So it's like when we sold it, you know, not not only were they generous with the money that they offered us, you know, monetarily for the place, but also was we knew that it wasn't going to die. Like we knew that it was going to move, move forward and up, which was, you know, comforting because, you know, you know, like I do. In those type of gym situations, you know, in the CrossFit community, everybody is super tight and everybody, it's, it's far, it's much more of a community than it is a gym. Yeah. So, you know, we have friends that we left there and it's like, you know, we, you know, these people have been supporting me and supporting Mel and supporting this gym for five years. We don't want to just make them feel like we're ducking out. We want to leave it, you know, in the hands of somebody who's going to continue to work hard for them and make it better than it was.
0: And, and they did, so it's good. I know, and you use that word. We were fortunate, and yes, you can be fortunate. But I am under the full belief that, like your goals and the thing, you know, you waited tables to be in the band to pay off your school debt, and you were constantly putting yourself in a position to be fortunate. I guess if that makes us, you know, any sense, your hard work and practice at your craft. Made you ready for that opportunity whenever that opportunity to be fortunate was going to come up, you know. Yes, that's what I I believe that. You know, I really believe that. I don't think people just there are the rare occasions the outliers who just stumble onto something, but that usually doesn't last. The people who have sustained success or follow, you know, keep up with their dreams and keep doing what they, you know, what they love to do they put themselves and they practiced the little tiny details and they worked hard and they struggled to make it to the spot they have. And so really and truly, you earned it all. You didn't really just get fortunate. You, you prepared yourself for that day when you could make the decision to be fortunate. Yes. Yeah. Yes, that, that, that sounds accurate, yeah. Yeah. And <laughs> now, Mel and all this... Obviously, it's really, really awesome. Been best friends with Kim for since forever. Um, And how did y'all make this work through like the transition of the gym and you deciding you're going to go back to school to be an artist? I mean, obviously, y'all made that decision together, but um, how did y'all make that work between you two as a couple did you take any vacations, have any trips, leisure downtime, that sort of thing? Like how did that all work out? Yeah. Um as
1: far as like the transitioning from like when when yeah, when we got married, um Mel very much thought she was marrying a business owner and like she you know <laughs> felt pretty secure in that and then, you know, a year later I'm like, yeah, guess what? I want to uh, paint pictures instead.
0: So um, yeah, um <laughs> she she nailed the winner <laughs> she, right there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So
1: I think part of it is just I, you know, Mel doesn't want me to do something that I'm not happy with. I don't want to ask her to do something that she's not happy with. So you know, when I said like, hey, I think I want to, you know, try to be a contemporary artist, and I think I can be, you know, she was like, okay, like I believe in you. Here we go. You know, and there is a little bit of a deal there. And, I mean, she has been she has been essentially letting me do this. And when I say letting me, I mean it's like because I've been treating this like a job and then way past a job where I'm spending 50, 60, 70 hours, you know, on this a week. And, um, you know, we're not probably together as much as she'd like us to be and as much as I'd like us to be. But, you know, she's been like, all right, I know you need to put in this time right now, you know, put in the time. And there's a little bit of an understanding that, you know, um, she's kind of exploring some options of what she maybe wants to do. She's working in accounting right now, but she's not sure that, you know, that that's going to be the end game for her. And she knows that once she decides what she wants to do, I'm going to be 100 percent supportive of that, like in that. That's, you know, if we, if she wants to go back to school and get, you know, an MBA or a master's in something like, and we're going to go into debt, like, okay, cool, we'll go into debt. Like, I'm, I'm much more, she's very um, financially stable minded, you know, where she's like, nope, like we need to, we need to do this. I don't want to be in debt. We need to do this. We need to save here and do this and do this. And I, that's good because we kind of balance each other out because for me, it's like, I'm just Money, money will come, money will go, money is money. We're not going to be homeless. Um, you know let's let's have the experience, let's do this, let's do that. So there's a bit of a balance there, but she knows that when she figure out figures out what she wants to do in the next step of life, I'm going to be supportive of that. so that's basically where she allows me the support that I need right now to
0: you know, develop into a practicing artist. Holy crap, man. Um, Is, like, if you flip yeah. the whole script around, it's like we're the same couple. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no,
1: there, 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 are, there, are huge, there are huge similarities between you and Kim and Melanie and I.
0: That's, um, yeah. that's, that's um, crazy. I, I realize that. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, all the time, I'm like, yeah. I mean, we're not going to go homeless, we're going to be fine. Let's roll the dice. Let's do this. You know, more on the calculated risk side versus... Um, very financially stable, budget conscious, holds everything together. You know, saves the day for me a lot of times when it comes to that sort of stuff. Um, yeah, totally.
1: <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, and I mean, we we do we allow you know we, we allow ourselves to have an experience. You know, you know, here and there, like you know, we will you know we'll go and hang with you guys in Boston or. You know, we uh we have relatives in Michigan and relatives down south and you know, we'll we'll visit them a bunch and we'll we'll road trip and we'll check out, you know, the we're in upstate New York now, so we'll you know, we'll check check out the Finger Lakes and we'll look into, you know, Buffalo and Toronto and Canada and all that stuff. So like we well, we like to explore, you know. But um but right now it's still like, you know, in reference to kind of the plan that you have for your adventures with your family. If, um, you know, from, that I've heard from some of the other episodes, we're not quite at that point. It's more just like, okay, let's not be responsible with money for a while. And then an opportunity to be responsible comes up. Kim wants to meet us in Boston. Do you want to go? And it's like, oh, that doesn't stop. Like it's going to be a financially smart decision, but yeah, I think we should. <laughs> <You know? laughs> so it's, it, it's, it's more that for us. It's more just kind of like, okay, let's, let's be as responsible as we can right now. So when a fun opportunity with friends comes up, we can just go do it.
0: Yeah. You know, that, that trip was, uh, it kind of opened my eyes and I was actually going to do trying to figure out how to talk and make it an interesting, uh, listen or a podcast for, like airbnbs condos stuff like that because that little stay there in that airbnb it was different than staying in like a hotel room or anything like we we actually got to sit there in in the living room of a house like it was a home and have a conversation with you know as two couples you know friends getting to know each other uh best friends talking you know learning about each other's lives and everything all there in that room and really just kind of Like bonding, and you feel like you become better friends with somebody through that sort of experience on a little, just a little short weekend trip than just going to some resort somewhere for, you know, and seeing each other for a few moments and then going back to a different room, you know? Um, Yeah. I was, yeah, totally. I was trying to figure out how to articulate that in a a deal because we walked around the city of Boston together um, and. Saw all sorts of cool things. have a great story about Kim making friends with a taxi driver, which you called immediately and ending up in a totally different town eating Indian food in the back of a bodega than where we were supposed That's to pickle. be. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so um, but all that stuff gives you great stories and great life adventures, and it really didn't like break either one of us for like just a short weekend trip. It gave I mean, it gave me a bunch of memories anyway. And then it actually made me like, hey, we need to call Matt and Mel up and try to figure out how to do something else. Like I constantly tell Kim that like we need to figure out how to go hang out again. So um, I can't get married again. So you can't come hang out in my house again for that reason. We got to figure something else out. I mean, let's
1: be honest, like, we're adults, you can do whatever you want. (laughs) If you want to, you know, restage the ceremony or fill your house with ball pit balls, you can do it. Like, you can, you know.
0: That's true. You can do whatever
1: you want. Ball
0: pits kind of fun.
1: So, um, but yeah, just, I I, I think, I think we're, you know, we're in a, a time now where, um, you know adulting can be you know what cumbersome and tedious, but it also can be super fun because there are absolutely no rules except you know like how much money do you want to spend or not spend? That's really that's really the limiter. so um and then you know instead of instead of just going and taking a vacation, you know coordinating and taking a vacation with another couple or friends is gonna you know. Up the experience, you know, tenfold because you have something to do when you're there, other than just like go to the beach or explore whatever. And yeah, you know, sure. Like I love, I love going solo with my wife at the same time. I know my wife loves her friends. So
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, just a a quick question that popped like the top of my head. Like all this art stuff, and I don't know. I mean, I know some of the stories how many of them you can share we could probably have a podcast for about four hours of all the stories and your art and you know what you've done to create some of your art and all that but um, where are some of the places art has maybe taken you just like the passion of art and then how have you found some of the inspiration for your for like your paintings and your style of painting and how does that all come about
1: Sure. Um, okay. So, um, part A of that question, um, at, at this point in, in time, like that's what, that's what's bringing me to cities. Like I, you know, if, if I'm going to a city, I'm, I'm interested in two things. I'm interested in where the best coffee is and I'm interested in, you know, the gallery scene and then the street art scene. Um, you know, like I'll, I'll do a decent amount of googling of where you know where to find the the you know the under under the bridge graffiti and whatnot and you don't usually get the best stuff that way because the best stuff is always you know hidden from the internet somehow um, but yeah like you know I'll find that stuff um, if we're if we're touring you know if we're tourists in a city that has you know and then we're there to visit friends I'll be like yo, I want to see you know I want to see where's the art you know where where is the best art. Um, you know, where where are the ridiculous murals, you know, and it's not, not because I you know, think murals are so amazing, but you know, I just I wanna see what somebody thought was important enough to make huge on the side of a building knowing that millions of people were gonna see it. Um and yeah, and then like the gallery scene, like I'm very much into um like painting. Like there's a lot of art going on in a lot of different forms. I just I really really like painting and drawing and people that have control over over those two media, you know, and how they how they basically mix them. Um, those and, and partially partially is because that, that's what I do, you know. Like uh, you know I, I want to see things. I want to see someone do do what I do much better. You know, I want to see. okay, I want to be impressed by somebody who's been doing this longer and is way better than me at it. And I want to see what they can do with, you know, this stupid little colored oil stick and, you know, this turpentine and this brush. You know, like I want to see just what magic somebody can produce using these slimy oil colors. And I want to see, like, how realistic this person can make this look using this piece of graphite you know those those things really really impress me and it might sound like super boring but that's what you uh, know that's very interesting to me um, my artwork my artwork comes from um let's say um the inspiration for my artwork comes from um the idea of being a uh, you know disenfranchised or separate groups of people like basically, um, I'm interested in all things urban. you know I, I want to see I want to see places on the wall where people have posted millions of things and then torn them down and there's little bits of shavings and little bits of little bits of those pieces of paper left from ten years of people posting bills where it says post no bills. you know I want to see uh, I want to see places where graffiti has been painted one hundred times over other graffiti and I just want to look at the edge where all of those all of those layers can still be seen and still be referenced a little bit. Um, I want to see art from people that don't have a venue like that's what's really interesting about graffiti to me. Um, you know, not not sponsored graffiti, not graffiti where someone pays someone to make something or not a mural, but like graffiti in places where you're not supposed to paint, you know, illegal graffiti. And it's not because it's good. It's because someone mm-hmm. essentially said, this is my mark and um, I don't have a venue, so I'm going to put my mark here and you have to pay attention to me at least for a millisecond. You know, like, I'm going to paint this here, and then you're going to see it, and um, and I'm going to leave evidence of my existence. Like, that's extremely inspiring to me.
0: Well, it's... The fact
1: that... Go
0: ahead. No, I, I was just going to say, it, it just popped in my head, it's kind of like, they took the chance on doing something illegal for just a passion of art. Correct. Like... Totally. And it's, yeah... yeah. I mean that that that's all. that right there is like the definition of passion, and they don't have to be good at the moment, but that sort of attitude kind of makes you good down the road.
1: Yeah, no, hundred percent. Like, and dude, like that's it's it's punk rock, it's hardcore, it's hip hop, it's all these, it's it's people being creative out of a void of not being given a place to be creative. It's it's do it yourself. It's it's backpack rap. It's you know. It's it's all of these things where where people just they have the need to be creative because they don't have a venue and they don't have an audience. And basically, the commercial art world said you're like you don't belong here, you know. And then every once in a while, one of them like you know breaks into the commercial art world and owns it, you know. <laughs> yeah. Um, yep. Like those those things are what inspire me you know um and and also people that are you know like uh, a lot of my paintings portray homeless folks and that's because you know basically society has said you're not worth our time like you know like you're you're not worth our time you're not worth our money and you're not worth our time and our money because you have no profit margin you don't pay taxes. we cannot yeah you don't pay taxes um we can't make money off of you. You're not a consumer, so you're not worth anything as a human being. Like that, that injustice, and, and that, like it's sure that's homeless people, but it, but it's anything. You know, it's it's if a if a you know if a person has a has a, a low to no profit margin, they're not taken seriously. They're not worth anything as a human being. You know, which it, that just. It, that makes me so angry, you know? <laughs> so that, that, that's probably it. I, I'd say that's probably it. Just, you know, um, people that have been removed from society, um, and, and, and removed from a, a place of home removed. You know, I used to say that I was really interested in communities. Well, I, I think I'm uh, more my interested in is like the lack of community. When, when someone is no longer allowed to be in a community, you know, because, you know, like, like, all right, you're an alcoholic. You're a wino. You're this. You're that. Like, like you're a bum. Like, and and people, you know, I've, I've had a conversation. I've had conversations with people where it's just kind of like, you know, like why are you so interested in homeless folks? It's like why are you so uninterested in homeless folks? You know, like when you walk through a city, like are you are you are you trying to to make eye contact with homeless folks or not? Probably not. You know, like it's, it's why are you, why are you so, so disingenuous with them? You know, um, yeah, I could, I could go on with this for like an
0: hour, but yeah, basically I'm, I'm interested in groups of people that have been separated from mainstream society and that's what I paint. Yeah. Like you're tapping into the forgotten. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. They can, the cast, the cast aside the, you know, the, the leper, the, any of that. But, you know,
0: like, so just to bring this full circle back to your band, like that sort of uh, that moment in the car where you hear the hardcore music and it like, you're like, that's the answer. That attitude is bleeding through in this, even though it's with a paintbrush and it's art and it's social issues or whatever it may be. It's like there's people who don't play anywhere close to what the same sound of hardcore punk rock that are every bit as hardcore punk rock with their attitude and their words and their their deliverance of it, that that's the thing that I'm attracted to. It's it's that oh, feeling that comes from it, you know. Just the, yeah. s- the yeah. same thing. The same thing is like standing up for the forgotten. Like let's remember these yeah. these outcasts, these misfits, these the the people who are just like, hey, don't listen to that stupid music, or you're going to become a bum when you get older, type of thing. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, and it and it goes
1: it goes in all directions, you know. Like you will find you will find those people everywhere, you know. Like you will you will find people that bring that attitude to work every single day. <laughs> um, and, and, and yeah, I'm I'm no different. I'm the same person I was when I was 20. <laughs> yeah. I'm just a
0: little. I'm maybe just a little bit more educated and with a little bit more experience. Yeah, like the at, the encounter. experience, okay. man. That's what. The experience is what gets it. That's how you learn is through all the experience, and you gain confidence. And then you're like, "Oh, I can be this way and still do this, and I can still be punk rock, and it doesn't matter." Like, yeah, yeah. That that's that's the enjoyable thing right there about, um, I guess, as you age and the experience that you get, and you know, us two again getting closer to forty, um, and not giving up the dream or whatever it may be is that you learn that you can you can carry it on in many different forms and it doesn't have to be in the form of a mohawk with a colored hair you know in fact it's more so the opposite you can be more of a disturbance to the system by getting in the system yeah yeah totally you know 100 yeah well All right, we've gone almost an hour already, and I could actually keep talking because I had a whole bunch of things that I wanted to talk about. But let's get down to the actual question that you asked me that was burning in my head forever now. And I think I have a better list together because it was a really difficult decision (laughs) for me to make. But it would be, you you asked me while we were walking around, you said, top five bands that you would have right now, non-hip-hop, and you asked me, top five people living that you would want to sit down for a day and have a conversation with, like hang out with them for a day. Um, obviously, okay. both like both of us at that time said Henry Rollins. That's always going to be on the list. I would have said Anthony Bourdain, but he's back then he was alive. Um, yeah. But anyway, so I want to pose this question to you in this form. The same thing, the top five bands that you would have, top five CDs – and then top 5 artists that you would put like if you had to only look at somebody's art those top 5 people oh man okay cool um so um i'm going to i'm
1: going to adjust the i'm going to adjust the, the artist question just a little bit and i'm going to go with living artists okay okay that works and it's just because um I think that um if there's anybody that ends up listening to this and then goes and looks at an artist, like I I want them to see and support living artists.
0: Oh yeah, for sure. And so, make get right. something new and relevant. I like that. Yeah, hey,
1: yeah. So alright, so um top five bands. Um uh would definitely be uh number one would be the Suicide Machines.
0: Oh my um, gosh, yahoo.
1: Yeah, like they they that that's the band that kind of like was the the break in. Um, I I I got into them and Minor Threat at the same time. But when I think about Minor Threat and the Suicide Machines now, like I still listen to the Suicide Machines all the time, and they still get me excited. And Minor Threat is just they're they're still cool. But I mean, eh, I I'm tired. Um, let's see. Um, uh, next would be uh, Paint It Black. Paint It Black is a Kid Dynamite offshoot not offshoot band but basically kid dynamite is a hardcore punk band from philly that broke up and then they kind of turned into two other bands and painted black was the more aggressive more political harder uh one of those two bands and uh still to this day like one of my favorite bands i think anybody who's like into political punk or hardcore at all should listen to painted black they're also like the best hardcore punk ever written um Um, this is gonna be a bland answer but another band would be stretch armstrong they were um a band that for like 10 years were one of my favorite bands and i don't listen to them much anymore but like still like tons of nostalgia and happiness when i do listen to them um uh next is defunct band and this is gonna kind of have to be a tie it's um they were gonna say raise against the Machines" slash bad brains and they don't actually relate to each other. But um, it's, I just can't pick one of I just can't pick one of them over the other. Like I just I can't. Um I, I, look, uh, I think Zach De La Roche is um, one of the most influential humans um in both underground and mainstream music of our generation. Um at the same time I think Bad Brains were basically the most seminal hardcore band of the late seventies, early eighties. Like I think Bad Brains is way more important than Minor Threat. Lots of people would like want to shoot me over that, but I think Bad Brains is super, super important. Um I, I, I don't think they're more important than Black Flag. I just like them more than Black Flag. Um also, the by, the band I was in was named after a Bad Brains song. <laughs> um, <laughs> I saw the, yeah, I just, I, I just yeah, the, those those two bands kind of have to be on a seesaw, so I, it's going to be six, and there's there's nothing, I mean, you can cut me
0: off now, but I'm going to tell you a six. All right. <laughs> All right, six it is then. Six, we'll, we'll, put, hip, we'll put just a, we'll make two, it five with like a bar, dash. What's that? We'll make it five with just like a little dash, and that's just one band. Okay, cool. Cool. <laughs> So the def, the dash um the dash, and be, dash
1: and be rules and and, and hip hop artist from Atlanta, Killer Mike, and then also a hip hop artist from New York City. He's a, a hip hop artist and a producer named LP, and they came together to form Run the Jewels. And oh, Run the Jewels is awesome. It, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's um, I think it's some of I think it's some of the best you know rap hip hop that's been produced in the last decade that resonates with like older heads because they're both in their forties. Um, but they like achieved, you know, this success a little bit later in their hip hop careers. Like they both had huge careers, but now like they're way bigger now together than they ever were solo. Um, so yeah, that, that would be my five dash six. Cool. Bands, musical influences. Yeah. Of all time. Right on, man. So yeah. Um, Artists is going to be a, a little. So we're going to do living artists. Um, and um, I, I would, if you have any interest in artwork, I would suggest looking these people up. Um, they are they are mostly two dimensional people, so painters, drawers. Um, the first is Connor Harrington. He is. I mentioned him earlier. He's a Scottish. Um, uh, He's a painter. Um, He started off as a, you know, as a kind of a realistic graffiti artist and then moved into a lot more studio work. He still does, you know, tons of mural work, but he's just awesome. He's the guy that made me want to be an artist. I basically saw one of his, one of his, uh, throw up murals and then just went that, like, I need to do that. Whatever that is, I have to do that. I think I can, um, the next person would be Robert Rauschenberg and, Um, Robert Rauschenberg is still alive, but, um, he's, he's a little bit older. He's, uh, he's an artist that lives in New York and he's huge. Like if you know anything about art, you know who he is, you know what he's done, but he kind of turned, turned painting on its head, um, during like the abstract expression era and, um, in the modern era. And he just, he's, he's one of... He's, he's one of the artists that just changed art altogether. And, like, my current work looks a lot – well, it doesn't look a lot like his. It's nowhere near as cool. But, I mean, like, I, there there are a lot of ties between my current work and what he does. He's, um, he's a painter, painter, um, mixed-media artist, just just awesome. Um, he's, he's also very important to art in general. Um, next artist would be Jenny Seville, who is a – Painter. she's about 10 years older than me again if you know anything about artwork you already know who she is um, she's a figurative artist and she paints mostly the human figure in um, fairly uh, violent solo settings so like let's say you you'd have uh, you know a uh, uh, abuse victim like she might depict that abuse victim's face but in a very painterly manner like nine out of ten figurative painters just want to be Jenny Sabel. So um, I would take a look into her. Um, next would be, um, <clears throat> excuse me, next would be Rachel Rickert. Um, this is a little bit more art nerdy. She's a painter who's, I believe she's on like 26 or 27. Um, she's out of New York City and um, she just, she paints some um, space and she paints, not space like outer space, but like she, she paints environment um extremely well with the human form in it. um she i take a lot of i guess uh influence from her work and um so rachel Rickard, look her up and then the last one would be phil hale um phil hale is a i don't know if he has dual citizenship but he um he's based out of london now again he's like maybe 10 15 years older than me and um he's one of these guys that is super influential in the way that current figurative paintings are produced. Um, like he's not using Photoshop, but he's a dude that'll like, you know, take seven or eight weird reference photos, cut them all up, kind of collage them together, but then paint the image as if it is an actual, like it doesn't look like collage. He's doing all the Photoshop manipulation in his head um, and really, really rad. Really intense figurative artwork that's just really, really, really weird and um, really cool. Like, I would recommend looking at him too. So, Connor Harrington, um, Robert Rauschenberg, Jenny Seville, Rachel Rickert, and Phil
0: Hale. Those are my five. That's awesome. And what a crazy good description of each one. (laughs) I definitely want to go look it up. And I hope a lot of people listen and go look this stuff up because. It really is super cool. Um, like just following you and some of the people that you have tagged along the way, I followed them because I enjoy what they're doing. There's no way I could ever do that. But um, I hope the people, like anybody who listens, goes and at least looks at them and checks them out and um, gives them a follow on their social media or whatever. Yeah, yeah, that would be very cool.
1: Yeah. so i i think that would be good um i mean I, i'll be honest with you like um i don't know if robert Rauschenberg has an img like i think he's just too big like he's like any art student knows who robert Rosenberg is but like the other people have like you know they're artists that have 50 60 70, followers on instagram <laughs> yeah you know like they're just they're
0: they're big that's so awesome. um but yeah. Well, um, well, where can where can uh, the public find the number six on the list, which is you, so they can see your uh, art? So, sure, sure. So my name
1: is uh, my Instagram is just at Matthew John Apel, So M A T T H E W J O H N N N. Sorry, J O H N A P O L. So just my name, Matthew John Apol, and. I have a website, but Instagram is probably the place where you know you can find
0: most of my stuff. Oh, geez. I didn't know you had a website. I'm going to have to go check your website out now. It's all the stuff that's on Instagram. So. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> right on. Well, yeah, for sure, everybody, go check it out. It doesn't matter whether you're like this crazy person that sees art and like a dot on the wall and tries to describe it. It actually has like feeling and meaning and and background to it and it's really really cool. So I totally suggest go checking it out and searching through his page and let him know if you like it. I mean it's it's I I know you will. It's really really cool. So Matthew, thank you a bunch for doing the podcast man. I appreciate it. Oh wait, 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 hold on, you can't go yet. You have to tell me so who are your five people? No. Alright, alright, we're going to do this. I'll do the the five bands, because I, I got that down. Okay. H2O always has the top, because that live show at the Warp Tour like sold me for life. So, yeah, H2O, that's it. H2O is always at the top, uh, and then okay. I, I got two is Tribe Called Quest, but you can't put hip-hop in there, so I'm going to take that out, and I'm going to put in um, MXPX, because they're going to be on the list anyway. So there's those two are the top. and then you have the weaker thans, uh, even though they're kind of not they're not a band anymore, kinda. John K. Sampson does his own thing, which I like his own thing as well. Um, and you know, kind of what he's into. I dig it. but uh, there's those three. And then let's see what. Four right now would be have to be um, Frank Turner. Would have to be number four. Ooh, that's cool. <laughs> and then for five, that's the now. Now I'm going blank. Once I get down to five of non um, non hip hop, since I can't put tribe in there, um, I'm gonna have. Let's see. I'll have to go. It's gonna sound cheesy, but I'm gonna go with Matt Skiba's acoustic, because I could listen to that like all day so no that's not cheesy he
1: he had a really cool acoustic project so like a lot of I feel like a lot of singers like go solo and do that and it's just kind of like oh they're trying to make money off their name and he was super creative
0: and I I I think that's valid yeah so that that would be my my five right now if you had to tell me tell me to take five that would be it and then the five people I would talk to for sure Henry, Henry Rollins would be on the list um Like I said, it would be something like Anthony Bourdain, but then I have to take him off because he's not living because that that would have been a really cool one to to, uh, visit with and talk to. But um, somebody like, this is going to sound weird too, but Andy Best is a traveling photographer that I follow on Instagram that just lives a crazy cool life. And so I would like to sit down and talk to him about the places that he's been and seen and the hikes that he's gone on and all that sort of stuff. I think that would be pretty cool to see a background into that at the moment. That would just be um, really, really fun. Uh, and, you've you referenced him before, right? Yeah, yeah, I've talked about him because I just dig, like, his photos. And, and like, not just the photos, but, how, like, he gives a story of kind of, like, how he gets to his places and, like, a background into that sort of stuff. Okay. So um, that would be cool. The next one would probably be um, Laird Hamilton, Would be number three, and that's just because the dude is gnarly, and he has like—I wouldn't say he has zero fear, but it'd be cool to
1: to
0: pick that brain. And then when you get to four and five, I mean, it's gonna be—that's gonna be a rough one. I would probably pick a hunter like, um, like uh, somebody that does stuff like Steve Rinella for the stories of. All his bear hunts and stuff like that. He has a podcast called Meat Eaters, super duper cool podcast and TV show, whatever. And uh, yeah, so I would I would go with that um, as my uh, my group of people. So I got a list. Okay. Yeah, no, that's a good list.
1: It's. Uh, I, I feel like if we do this long enough and it gets big enough, you can end up meeting some of those people.
0: Oh, <laughs> that'd be that'd be crazy, man. If I could, that would be. Uh, let's not let's not hold our breath on this uh, little project. Maybe like, uh, Henry Roll- Henry Rollins come out and shoot the
1: shit with you over like you know what you're doing right and wrong as a radio personality and make fun of you, and you would just like you know swoon and die.
0: Yeah, for sure. I'd just be like, whatever you say, <laughs> Mister Rollins. <laughs> <laughs> yeah man Well hey thank you for thank you for having me Um, it was a blast dude enjoy talking to you and I can't wait to see you on spring break we still got that trip I know dude going down yeah I know I'm stoked you're gonna love uh, you're gonna love Syracuse you're gonna love New York so um, yeah yeah we're gonna have fun heck yeah man well thanks again Matt everybody go check out his Instagram page and his website if you want please and uh, I guess until the next one man thanks again Matt All
1: right. Thanks a lot, man. I'll talk to you soon. Bye. Bye.